G'day everyone, welcome to Did You Know with Watto. I'm Watto, and in today's episode I chat with Alan Caswell about some things that maybe you didn't know. For more episodes, you can check out my YouTube channel or the podcast app, and follow my social media at Lindsay Waddington Music. Hope you enjoy. G'day, it's Lindsay Waddington here, and today we're talking with a really good friend of mine, the legend himself, Mr. Alan Caswell. G'day, Matt. How you doing? I'm good, mate. How you been keeping? Well, apart from fracturing my kneecap and <laughs> have been stuck at home like it was COVID, I've been good, you know. So. <laughs> oh, just a normal time? Well, no, I'd rather not do it again, you know. So. <laughs> now, tell me, you are one of our most recorded songwriters. Uh, they say the most recorded songwriter in Australia. Did you write a song about it? No. Um, but if one more person says break a leg, yeah. <laughs> and I bet you've had somebody say you could write a song about that. Yeah, it's like if if you go to a party and you're a doctor, people go, "Oh, I got this sore shoulder and stuff." If you're a songwriter, they go, "I've got this great idea for a song," <laughs> and I'm I, I kind of don't get invited to parties much because I kept saying, "Yeah, it's a great idea. I think you should write it." You know, <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, talking about that, mate, you have it's quite an incredible thing. Um, well over 900, you're staring down a 1,000 uh, songs being cut or yeah. cuts of songs yeah. you've written, yeah. and that's quite incredible. And uh, nobody can prove your management wrong. That seems to be the only person that's done that in Australia so yeah, far. Yeah, apparently, yeah. Um, I used to say arguably Australia's most recorded songwriter, and then Cameron said, um, what's the arguably about? And I said, well, there might be someone else. He said, well, if there is, they should speak up <laughs> nobody so, has it's been no, out no, there for a long time now it, yeah look part of it's it's because i approach songwriting differently to other people and i i tend to write a lot with artists for their records hmm. so um you know things like writer's block don't exist for me because um if i don't have any ideas i can go and write with someone who's and use their idea and then i become the bricklayer and they're the architect you know yeah. so um that's why a lot of songs get written, you know, but also I've been doing it for a long time. You know, I started, I arrived in Australia in 1966, which is what, um, 50 odd years. And, and I was writing before I came to Australia. So it, you know, um, it really started in 1979 with On The Inside. Um, and then since then I've had about 950 recordings of my songs. So. It's just that's my passion. That's what I do. You yeah. know, other people play golf. And my golf game's crap, so I can't retire. So <laughs> that's good. Gonna... We'll go back to that. So you are Australian. You say you're proud yeah. Australian. Oh, yeah. yeah, you're definitely. proud Australian. I know you follow Australian sport and all that, and you're a big sport fanatic. I still follow Liverpool. At, at, you know, because there's been a Liverpool fan in my family since there's been a Liverpool since like a Sydney soccer team. No, no, Liverpool in England. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, but you know, I'm a Swans fan, a South fan, um, and and I cheer for Australia in, um, in pretty well everything. Well, in every sport, you know. That's um, that's lovely. I mate. don't have a fallback position. You so know. you do you do come from England though, like born in England. All my family come from Liverpool, mm-hmm. and then I grew up in the mountains in North Wales, and um, which is where I kind of learned about country music, I guess. And then moved to Berkshire and then London for the last couple of years before we came out. I, I was 14 when I came out here from, from England. The family came out. 
and I haven't been back. So it's I've just lived in Australia. What was since. the thought process? Because it would have been good times over there, Kaz. Like, why would your parents sort of thought, let's move? Just well, Dad always wanted to come to Australia anyway. Um, he just thought there was. A, well, I've got two brothers, and for the three of us, he just thought there was a better future here. At one point, we were going to emigrate to Canada, to be honest, but. Um, mm. Then mum got pregnant with Steve, my youngest brother, and um, and then um, by the time we were ready to go, they stopped migration to Canada. Um, but dad always had a thing about Australia, and and I I believe that they came out here because it was going to be good for for my brothers and I, and they were right. You know. Now your dad was an entertainer yeah. in the entertainment game over in England, or when he comes he to Australia. No, he was he was doing it. In he started off as a drummer. Um, like most musicians start off as drummers, <laughs> yeah. apparently, so like you did. Um, and uh, and then when the, the skiffle thing hit, oh, we were little kids and, and living in a uh, in this little village in North Wales. And my parents had, because I, you know, my parents were in their 20s then. And um, all the local kids used to come around and they formed a, a skiffle group. Dad learned to play guitar and stuff. And... Um, they had a problem getting the string for the um, for the T-chess bass. You remember those? Mm. So one of them went off and ripped off some electric fence from this farmer that no one liked. <laughs> and we were right next to the pub, so it was kind of the focal point of the village. Anyway, um, they, they would be playing and, and I'd be asleep in bed. But I was even then, I was a pain in the butt, really, because <laughs> one night I fell down the stairs coming down to tell them they got the words wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that. And then, and then we moved. To, when we moved to London, um, Dad was um, in this sort of concert party that went to play aged care facilities and old people's homes and things like that. Um, and my brother Brian and I got roped into it. And Dad would play guitar and we'd sing. And um, so we'd started doing. We started writing songs when when I was twelve and he was like ten. Mm. And then uh, we came to Australia and. You know, it just it just carried on from them. We started doing talent quests um, as the Castle Brothers because Dad was Steve Castle. Yeah, and he 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 was like a great compare comedian and stuff. And he had um, had this show called Underneath the Arches, and it was kind of all wartime songs where um, uh, they had a lady that did the Judy Garland, a lady that did the Vera Lynn, and he and this other guy did Flanagan and Allen, all these English things, and it was huge in the RSL clubs and. Anyway, the high point for, for Dad was South Juniors, which was the big club at the time, and he always and that was his ambition. He wanted to play there. Mm. And sadly, that was the last gig he ever did because um, yeah. he, he, he already had cancer by then and died very young at 56. Yeah. And then we had a family band and stuff. And then gradually, like my brother saw sense and went to uni and became a teacher, and, and my younger brother Steve played drums with us for a while and, he drifted off into finance and stuff like that, and I was—it was only Dad and I then that, um, that carried it on. Um, and it was fun. I was nineteen, and Dad was a compare comedian at the Barrel Theatre in the Cross. And so uh, at nineteen, I had to go down and watch his show and watch the timing on the jokes. The naked women were just kind of as a strip <laughs> club. You know, so. They were a bit distracting, but um, then he carried on, uh, and I just I just went solo. Then I played folk clubs and got my start in country music with Kevin King, um, yeah. who um, had a band at the Crystal Palace, and they used to let, get me up to play, and I'd play my own songs, you know, and um, that was really what got me started. 
When when you, you so you said we've we've come from England now into Australia. Was your love for country music you said was before you come out here? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you remember who the the first artist you heard and you thought that's what I want to do? Uh, yeah, well, uh, the first artist that yeah, yeah. Leroy Van Dyke doing Walk On By Wet on the Corner. Oh, that okay. was that was what made me want to be a country singer. Yeah. I was lucky in that um, when we we moved into this four hundred year old cottage in this village in in the in. Wales and it had no power and no electricity. Dad was managing a news agent shop and he ran an extension lead to the thing <laughs> and, and got a mate that was an electrician and wired up the house. And we the water was he had a mate that was a plumber and we got it on. Um, and the council came out and said, This house is four hundred years old. It, you can't have a permanent electricity supply and dad said it isn't and unplugged the extension lead, you know. Oh, so he <laughs> so was a comedian. So that was oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, I used to do all kinds of weird things. Built a boat in these allotment gardens, like forty mile, miles from the nearest water and stuff, you know. <laughs> um, but but you know, and 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 he would, um, you know, we, he's just he's just we just had his ninety fifth birthday. I mean, he died at fifty six. But um, just thinking back, um, you know, he'd he'd go to the local records yard, find a car, do it up, get it registered, and we go to Spain. You know. <laughs> oh like, wow. Yeah, so coming to Australia was no big deal. So nothing? No. no. And then it just carried on from there. And uh, my brother and I, Brian and I, um, played clubs as the Castle Brothers for a number of years. And Steve joined us for a while. Um, and then when they all went off to do other things, I just carried on solo. And, and I've done that ever guitar? since. Guitar? You played guitar, Kaz, only? Or no? Other instruments? No, I've, I've only ever played guitar. Yeah. Um, and there's people who consider that it's not... I haven't progressed too much, but um, I, yeah, it, it used to be funny uh, um, when we do shows together because Brian sang the harmonies. It was like an Everly mm. Brothers thing, and I used to get really nervous before I went on, and that would come out, as you know, from working with me as being grumpy and and hard to get on with, you know, just that that thing. So Brian, even though he didn't, it, it would tune the guitar. He would talk through the charts with the band. And then I'd come in and I'd be nice to everybody. So, <laughs> and, uh, and and we played some good gigs and and we did things like um, one the new faces showing and they send you down to Melbourne. You get a full orchestra to mm -hmm. work with. And we did he ain't heavy's my brother and you know um, it was just this classic thing where they played it. It was perfect. Right there was a point there was a wrong note and you see five pens all go and fix it at the same time. Yeah. You know. And, and anyway, it sounded great. And they said, was that okay or would you like to run through it again? So I said, can we try it again? But it was only... Just because you wanted to play yeah, with them again. <laughs> yeah. So, um, and we did, did lots of stuff like that. And then gradually as Brian moved out of the thing, but we kept writing songs like after that. Um, uh, after, after On the Inside happened, um, Brian wrote a song and I came in and help, helped him edit it called If It's Love You Want. Um, great little pop song. And... And and we and uh, Chris Gilby, who was my publisher for like eighteen and a half years, he organised a, a producer, and the track sounded great. But they didn't have a singer, so they started auditioning people to come in. And Edith Bliss came in, right, not to sing, but with her friend oh, yeah. who was singing. The friend was terrible, and she said, "I think it's a microphone, Edith. You sing." So Edith Bliss goes and nailed it, right. So she got the gig. So and we had a hit with that, and it was mainly Brian's song, and then. Um, because, because of on the inside, then I um, I got a record deal um, with a major record label, uh, but I've forgiven Chris for getting that, you know. So, <laughs> and um, and my first single won a golden guitar. So, 
and that started everything because then they'd book me for Wandong Festival and all the, all the festivals, and I'd just develop this thing of saying, when are we going to write? That was my, my line. And so I got to write with all these great people and, and get, get my name on all their albums. You know? So you've, you've obviously kept going because we're sitting here today and you've got this amazing career you've created, and, that, and it's a credit to you, mate. But um, did you ever, like, because this is a really tight family, you can see this from another country, and you sat on a boat for months, it would have been, to get to well, Australia. Six weeks, I think. Y- yeah, oh, well, okay, six weeks. But a family tight-knit thing, you get here. Then it is a family band. Dad's still in the business. When the brothers decided to go away, Kaz, did you think, oh, what am I going to do? Or you're like, no, nah, I'm just, I no, know what no, I'm going to do. I, no, no. See, the thing has come from a show business family. Like, um, I, I don't know what it was like for you, but for me, it was the family business. So... When I decided I wanted to write songs, when I was at school, I was going to be a journalist and I was going to write songs for a hobby. And, and mm-hmm. now I write magazine columns for a, a hobby and write songs for a living. So yeah, yeah. that's that's the way it turned out. Um, but I I never had any complaints or from my parents. In fact, after on the inside, I got a job working for the publishing company because I wanted to see how that worked. Yep. And my mother was, was shattered because she thought it was a step back. I'd finally gone full-time as a songwriter and I was going to go back and get a day job. So it was the opposite to everybody so, else. Yeah. The, and, and so I never had anything but support from my parents at any stage, you know. That is so good. Made life a lot better. And the number of times mum, <laughs> mum and my brother Steve had to bail me out because I'm in the music business, <laughs> you know, it's scary. Oh, that's really good. Now, let's get to that. Um, we've had a few people on our podcast and the songs they've written have been defining of their career and, like, just life-changing in the, the music industry. And you're one of those people, mate, and it's uh, it's a real pleasure for me now to write with you, uh, which we'll probably talk about later, but at the moment I get to write with you, but I grew up as a kid, as a little uh, cane you farmer's son. you just I'm a lot older than you. Yeah, right. <laughs> My job's done here. We can move on now. <laughs> no, but you actually have written one of my favourite songs of all time on the inside. Now, that TV show, we loved it too as a family. So now to be here doing a podcast talking to you is pretty incredible for me when you think about it. But that song has been your life, really, hasn't it? Yeah. Been with you like a child. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of, it's opened so many doors. And, and look, I don't think it's the best song I ever wrote. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I've got to be honest about it. But it was the most effective, and I'm proud of it. And I still oh. sing it every every gig. I never miss singing it. I, I've, I have twice. Um, once when I was working with Lynn Hamilton, I thought I should let her do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and another one when I was working with... Um, but, you know, just where yeah. someone's been involved in the song and it did, made sense. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, I used to, for a while though, when I was younger and... and um, not really paying attention, uh, tried to leave it out a few times, but it didn't work. You know, so. It's an incredible thing, though, Kaz, like um, a couple of people, once again, we've had in the podcast where they've written the songs, but they were actually the face yeah. that made it famous. Now, I've seen this firsthand doing a corporate gig, remember, up here on the Gold Coast in Australia, and our wives were sitting out there in the crowd yeah, amongst all these people, yeah. and you just said, um, here's a song that's kept me out of a day job for 40 years. And somebody had to voice their opinion saying, he didn't write that. Yeah. Now, isn't it incredible that another face made that song famous? Yeah. And then, but yeah. But, but that happens. Um, so you've I heard mean, that a bit? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like I, I, I'd go out and do the song in a get, at a pub or something and they'd go, come off it, mate, if you wrote that, what are you doing playing here and stuff like that. 
But I also went through that through that whole thing. I spent um, I don't know how many years, like probably twenty years, writing kids' albums with Don Spencer. Yeah, you know, like we we wrote some big songs like Bob the Kelpie and um, and Please Don't Call Me Koala Bear and Ozzy Mozzy and all. these songs are still current, like for for young kids coming through. And they were huge. Skin you know, is particularly well. Skin, skin was a bit different because I wrote that on my own for but myself. It is but, a classy song, though. Yeah. 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 Well, I use it in my show every night because I can't leave it out because people request it. Yeah. You know, but but you know, you look at that that thing, and it's the person who sings it. Like, so they're all Don Spencer songs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, you know, it's no reflection on him. It's just, just that's the way People it is. used to seeing that face make him yeah. famous. There was a thing on the Mo Awards one year and they got, um, let's see if I got it right, John Williamson, Digby Richards, Mike McClellan, Doug Ashdown and me, mm-hmm. right, all singing. And we all had a, they had a record up with our big song. So Doug, Doug had Winter in America and, and Mike had Song and Dance Man and John had Old Man Emu and Digby had New York City, right? Mm. And and it's all and I looked across and I thought I'm the only one I haven't heard of. <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, and the, you know, and I've written lots of stuff with Doug and stuff. You know, we're good friends, but it brought it home to me that that you know, there's there's these apparently five big songs, and there's the guy that guys that wrote them, and I'm the only one that that had someone else have the hit. Lynn did a fabulous job on beautiful this thing. But and, internationally, though, your song would have been bigger at the time oh. like worldwide yeah, yeah. the song went big for you as a songwriter but did you ever look at that then and think oh well this is my thing on life here i'm a songwriter or did you think i've always put songwriting first right yeah. um if someone asked me what i do for a living apart from saying well i wrote this song in 1979 um i always put songwriter first ahead of everything else so in, in, when someone's called themselves a singer songwriter i've always called myself a songwriter that doesn't mean that I, that I don't think I can sing. If I didn't think I could sing, I wouldn't be making records with yeah. Lynchburg. But um, it's just that I, that's the priority for me. And I enjoy getting a song in the charts with someone else singing it as much as I do if I'm doing it. It doesn't make any difference. I just look at the song and the success of it. On the Inside was recorded in, in America by Patti Page. Mm. Now, I, I was listening to Patti Page when I was a kid in North Wales singing How Much Is That Dog in the Window and Tennessee Waltz and stuff. And then when she was 53, she recorded on the inside. And, and I was in Nashville when it was in the charts, and I'm going... Pinching you know, yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, um, it, that song has, has been... You know, it won't go away. Every time I think that's it, get another payment from England or Finland. <laughs> so, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... There's there's so many other, the the good thing about recent times is there's, there's other songs that I've written that are making the same kind of impact um, in terms of um, you know uh, making the charts and um, getting played on the radio getting streamed they, they they crop up and you know so I know they're happening. Before we leave on the inside, could you would you have a rough idea how many times that's been covered by different artists? Well, I, look, I keep finding new ones. That's what makes it hard with my 950 things because I keep... What's the tally you got at the moment then? It's about 35. 
different different the, different artists different and versions. that's everyone from oh the living and uh, they, they're bringing they record it on their first ep and did a great version of it but apparently there's a live version that they're bringing out I've later seen in that. it's it's cool as yeah yeah um yeah. but everyone from there um all these people that you like max bygraves and acker built did a version really yeah it was kind of you know. yeah yeah um, and they got the title wrong, so we had to chase them for... What, for, on the outside? No, they got the title wrong and someone else got the credit for it. Oh. Or the blame in that case, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's but it, it opens so many doors, you know. As I said before, I got a record deal on the back of it. Um, you never could have thought this song was going to do what it did, though, Kaz. At the time, you would have been like, I'm writing a song for a TV show. Look, I'll, t- I'll just try and keep yeah. it brief, but I'll tell you the story. Um Chris Gilby um, arrived. I'd, he published some of my songs before where, at Albert's and a couple of other companies. And he arrived back from England. He'd been over there managing that, that band, The Saints. And they'd offered him the job of running ATV Northern Songs in Australia, setting up the office. And he'd accepted it because he wanted to come back to Australia. So, so he hasn't even got his office set up. So I signed a, rec- a publishing deal on the Wednesday. Thursday, he was having lunch with the people from Grundy's who made the show, um, made Prisoner. And he said, are you looking for any music? You know, this is just over lunch. And they said, oh, no, we've got this show called Prisoner, but we're going to use uh, Unchained Melody. And Chris, being a good publisher, said, geez, I hope you got a big wallet. And they said, why is it going to cost you? He said, it'll cost you a fortune. You'd be better off getting your own song written, right? Yeah. It's just, and, and they said, well, who have you got in mind? He said, well, I signed this guy yesterday, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is Thursday. Friday, I got... Um, the script for the first two episodes and Saturday I had a gig and then Sunday I sat down and wrote the song in 45 minutes. In 45 minutes. And I did a high-tech demo with a $100 nylon string guitar and a mono cassette player <laughs> and I handed the t- tape over to Chris and he didn't have a, a cassette player in his office. He hadn't set it up yet so he just handed the cassette on to the people from Grundy's and they said, what's it like? And he said, oh, I think it's the best song Alan's written. <laughs> right? So so then... Um, I'm in the studio like three days later and, and he said, you better do that prisoner song. I said, why? I said, they want to send it to Melbourne for final approval. That was as quick as it was. Two weeks later, um, uh, I'm in the studio with Lynn Hamilton playing guitar for her on the demo. Now, the thing about Lynn, I mean, yeah, because we're really close up for obvious reasons. You can't not be in yeah. that situation. But I hadn't met her. She was a single mum at the time. She was signed to, to RCA and... They wanted one of their artists to sing the song on the TV show, and she she was the, the logical one. And um, she was a single mum. It was getting near Christmas, and her son desperately wanted this bike, and the bike cost three hundred bucks, and she didn't have it, and she's really disappointed. And then RCA rang up. We want you to sing the demo for for this TV show. Can you? Um, um, we'll pay you three hundred dollars for it. So she only took the gig so she could buy a bike for her son, oh, right? Fitting. And then she got halfway through the song and burst into tears. And, and you could just feel it. You just knew it worked. Yeah. So she got the gig. And then um, we had all that success here. And then they released the TV show in England. And I rang her and said, because she left RCA and had to get a, a note-perfect version of On the Inside um, when she moved to WEA. So she could, it was the title of her album. Anyway, so I rang her and said, this TV show started in England. Why don't you see if you can get your version released in England? 
So she she rang up a couple of record companies and they said, Lynn, we'd love to release your record, but it's already in the charts. No one had told us. Oh, gee. The record's in the chart. And and then, of course, they couldn't find Lynn. Like, <laughs> they didn't know where she was. Because it, it, this was about 12 years later that, yeah. it, that it was big in England. So in the end, they found her. And um, they said, can you stay hidden for two more weeks? Because they were getting all this publicity because they couldn't find Lynn Hamilton. Oh. It was like, where's Lynn Hamilton? So... Um, so she, they, and then she flew over to do um, Top of the Pops. And then she rang me when she got back and said, we're number three in England this week, but I don't, we're not going to get to number one because Madonna's going to be number one. I said, did you hear what you just said? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like not only have you got to worry about Madonna, she's got to worry about you. And that was the kind of thing that kept happening. Yeah. You know, um, and, and some people were watching Prisoner in, in L.A., and then we're friends of Paddy Page's producer, and they said, listen to this song on this TV show. And he did, and he thought it was great, and she recorded it. Um, it's just been that kind of thing. It's got, uh, you know, nothing I've got any control over. And hmm. um, there's been a French version, an Italian version, um, two Maori versions. I, I just had a, 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 a church choir in, um, in New Zealand who'd um, written a, a, a hymn and they wanted to use the tune of On the Inside, and they sent it to me. I didn't understand the words, but it sounded great. You know? <laughs> and it's it's that kind of thing. you know. That's fantastic. Now, moving on, mate, you, there's a lot more songs that have been written. If you weren't a songwriter and a singer, Kaz, what would you be? Like, if if you – I know you've devoted and you've achieved so much in that, but if there was something else, if you couldn't have been that and you could be at the level you are in another field, what would it be? I don't know. I, I mean um, – I've I've written three books. One was yeah. an autobiography, and two are books on songwriting. And I really enjoy the process of um, of, of teaching people to write songs. It's really important to me. So you, know? you love literature. You yeah. Lo- you oh love- yeah. Well, look, my my brother Brian's a really successful author. He writes young adult fiction, right? Mm-hmm. So he's he's been shortlisted for children's book of the year several times. Wow. And I, and I've been um, work you know doing freelance journalism f- for years. I've had a column in Cap News um, that I've written for over fifteen years every month. You know, um, it would have been invo- it would have involved writing probably journalism or um, or something like that. But it was never an issue. I was always going to be a songwriter. You know, yeah. that's what I was put on earth to do. So that was what I was always going to be. It's so good, mate. And you would have seen some. Re- well, I know, and everybody knows out there. You've seen some really, really high times, but with it, you've you would have had to have seen a lot of low times. Well, I'm in the music business. That's, you, what, that, that's how it works. But it's know? it's a credit how you've pulled yourself through it and that, and you've kept going and and uh, yeah, because we joke about it. It's like um, I won five golden guitars between eighty and eighty eight, and then nothing for twenty years. Over nineteen years before Drew McAllister and I won yeah. one in two thousand seven. Then I won a couple of cents. Um, so I've got like five black golden guitars and, and, and three gold ones, you know. Um, but I kept coming back every year in that 19 years with new records or tracks on people's albums. Give it were, a go. You know, and I got nominated several times during that time. And uh, I had, like, you know, I, I think I always reckon my music industry used by date was 1993 because then – but I just chose to ignore it and kept going. But, <laughs> but everybody has one. You know, they go, oh, no, too old now. You know, yeah. um, you keep going because what else are you going to do? You like if you love it and if you enjoy it, you'll keep doing it, and that's what I've always found. The awards are an amazing thing. Like everybody loves getting them. It's recognition from your peers in the industry, which you have achieved all that. 
But a couple of things people mightn't know, the garden. That was, yeah, that was, a, pr- that yeah. was a big project yeah. as well, yeah, wasn't that was, it? That was the highlight, uh, one of the highlights of my career. Um, for people, because it, it happened back in the 80s, like it was 80, 86 it won the Golden Guitar, so it must have been 85 it was released. And um, it started off, I was approached by Freedom From Hunger. It was at the time when they had Where the World and all those things were happening. And uh, we decided to do an Australian version. And um, Freedom From Hunger were raising money for a, a, an orphanage in Eritrea. Um, that was, you know, they had this, in the middle of a war, they had this little market garden where they, were gr- they could grow enough vegetables for the, for the um, you know, with donated seeds and, and simple um, watering systems and stuff. And that supported this whole village, and, and and it was, and that's what the garden was about. It was about this, this thing that in the middle of all this trauma, there's this thing growing. Um, so I wrote this. I really struggled with the idea, and then I watched the documentary and it, um, Freedom from Hunger, and saw this garden, and that was the the key to it. But it just grew and grew. I, uh, Rod Co produced it, and then um, we, went, we had a meeting about it at a pub in Paddington, and. And Rod said, I'm going to call Mark Hunter because they were friends from yeah. New Zealand. And once Mark came on board, we had, we finished up on the day, day we recorded the vocals. I've never, I mean, can you imagine what it's like as a songwriter watching Mark Hunter, John English, Renee Geyer singing a duet with Judy Stone, um, <laughs> Swanee, Doug Parkinson, the Emmanuel Brothers, oh, wow. um, Smokey Dawson. Um, and Kirkpatrick, you know, it was just the who's like, who. Yeah. yeah, and and it was so chaotic. I put up a sign saying, "This is the Australian music industry. Leave what's left of your ego at the door." That was <laughs> paraphrased, you know. Yeah. And um, but at the same, like we had the tracks down, and then everybody go in and do their vocals, and then then they go in again and film it, sort of like happens here, right? Yeah. Um, and. You know, I got a, at the end of all the chaos because they'd be filming the video straight after they did the tracks, and I got a call from Rod and um, Bruce Brown. They're in the studio at Albert's where we recorded it, and they said, "Can you come and bring some people and a and a, and a couple of bottles of wine because they're trying to mix this track and and they were used to having all this noise and chaos, and they had to sort yeah. of um, come back in and." Um, you know, and do it. But it was, it was for me, uh, you know, Alex Smith from Moving Pictures, he apparently bailed up the guy, the, the head of a radio station because they weren't playing it and demanded that they played it and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. That was a commitment from these people, you wow. know. And, you know, and it was, it was just, it was a, just a really nice thing that happened and everybody got on great and, you know, John English arrived, and the first thing he wanted to do was meet Smokey Dawson. It was that kind of vibe. And that would have blown old Smoke away too, I bet you. Smokey used to just handle it. I mean, I did a duet with Smokey on an album where he's singing um, songs with um, Jimmy Barnes and, and John Farnham and stuff. You know, it was yeah. a charity project. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I look at the video of that now, and Alan Hawking sang on it. And he, wow. And, did, and Kevin King and all these all these people who are... You know, sadly, no longer with us. You know, well, Phil Emanuel played on it uh, with Tommy. You but, know. but you seem to attract that too, Kaz, because out of conversations, um, uh, something that's amazing, like there was a show you did over in, in America, 
and you had a little nobody go oh, on so, first. Yeah. But you also wrote songs over there and had some big name artists just come in and demo them for yeah. you. Yeah, well, my favourite one, well, the one you're talking about yeah. was um, Douglas Corners in Nashville. They used to be a songwriters hangout and, and they, they'd have two songwriters and they'd, they'd do a show. And the other guy was Garth Brooks, right? It was before yeah. his first big album came out. And he went on first and did that album and it was great. And I embarrassed myself at halftime by telling him how great this cowboy song was and it was the only one he hadn't written, you know. So, <laughs> but, um, so he went on and then I did my set. So I'm actually the only Australian artist ever to have Garth Brooks open for him, which is really <laughs> strange, you know. And I have witnesses because Barris and Arthur Blanche were in the audience. Oh, I you love know? it. And then um, at the same trip, it was, it was really eventful. I was writing a song um, with a friend of mine, Dan Tyler, and um, we, we'd written this thing we wanted to pitch to Anne Murray. So um, he said, I'm going to get my friend Kathy to sing the demo because she's got a really good low register like Anne Murray's. I said, fine. So at home somewhere, I've got a cassette with Kathy Matea singing my song and singing backup vocals on my version and singing a duet with me. You know, and I'm in the cassette. <laughs> I, I, gotta find, I know where it is roughly, you know. Um, and I'd just come from LA where I, I'd been writing with a guy called Curtis Stone, not the chef, the, yeah. the um, Cliffy Stone's son that was in Highway 101. Yeah, yeah. And he put the band together for me to do the demos for the songs that I'd done. And he got. Roseanne Cash's drummer and you've got Kenny Rogers, piano player and and uh, Jack Daniel, who was the guitar player from Highway 101 and Curtis. And Vince Gill came in to play acoustic guitar on the session, you know. And I'd met Vince a few weeks earlier because um, he'd come out to do a bluegrass tour with Byron Berline. So Vince Gill's introduced me to the band as Australia's Rodney Crowell. You oh, know? Mate. <laughs> you just go, yeah. yeah, good as that. So... Yeah, you don't make a lot of money doing this, but it's fun. You know? <laughs> but they're things that you just pinch yourself looking back on it now. Like yeah. They're megastars, they're superstars, Kaz, and it must be great to have been around those situations. Well, try, try shaking hands with Tammy Wynette, you know, yeah. um, having lunch with Bob McDill, who's probably the best writer country music that ever lived, um, being invited to a, an album launch with Bobby Braddock's comedy album. You know, it's just kind of... Um, just by being in the business, you get that. And I've written with some amazing people that, yeah. are, that have written big songs, you know. So, Rightio, just moving forward now, mate. So, so if you could, out of all the things you've done or you haven't done yet, if you could transport yourself there tomorrow or in the next five minutes, what would you be doing or, or what moment could you have again? Yeah, well, it's weird, but probably right here. Oh, um, hell, yeah, cause, Well, because Lynchburg's been, the, for me, the big highlight of, of what I do. Um, I mean, well, you know, you've still got your career and I've still got mine, but Lynchburg's the thing that yeah. that, that we get excited about because it's got so much more happening in it. Um, but it's just, I think, you know, we're at a stage where in a music industry that's disappeared down the toilet, um, all that's left is real music, is, is the, the passion that you start with and, and um, the thing that makes you want to... Want to um, to keep going and it's what happens in this room with the with the caliber of musicians that, that, that we use on our records and stuff it's the best time i've ever had that's huge you know? right? um and yeah look it was fun going to all those holiday resorts like kuwait and iraq and afghanistan and doing gigs and you know all of it's been a life experience but it kind of feels like it was leading up to this where artistically and creatively this is what i want to do you know it's oh, huge mate so just um, for some people out there around the world that follow my music, what is it like being locked up in a studio with me? 
Well, it's, it beats what I've been doing for the last six weeks. Where, where I've been locked up at home because I've had a busted kneecap. <laughs> I'm in that bracket, am I? Yeah. No, no, you're better than that. So, no, look, it's 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 just the the fact that it's a team event, you know. Yeah. Um, I always wanted to be Hal David, not Bert Backrack. Now I am, you know. Well, not exactly, but you know, that's it's that thing of a team where where I can focus on what I do best, which is writing lyrics, and then. You know, I was saying, talking to a friend of mine yesterday about it, and it's like I've been writing songs now for well over 50 years, and, and every so often I scratch my head and say, have I used this tune before? You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like um, there's always a danger I'm just going to repeat myself at some point. Now I don't have to worry about that. It's been, from my point of view, mate, it's been a great thing for me because, as you know, I've been a composer of music, like instrumentals and themes and things like that, but you don't ask for a lot more than that from me, which is, that's what I love doing. I, yeah. love, I love tunes, hook licks. Um, like you may say to me, what were you thinking when you wrote it? And that's when you come in. And it's it's been really exciting for me. Yeah, it's uh, and the thing is that I have to lift my game. I mean, this it's it's like we push each other, right? Because I have to lift my game to when you come up with a killer tune so that the lyrics live up to it. And then you have to lift your game if I come in with a killer lyric. Oh, absolutely. You know, you know. Um, so, yeah, it's um, it, it's like it's frustrating out there, but in here it's fun, you know. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't even know there was a storm going on outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, mate, it's been a real pleasure having you here today, Kaz. You've had the most amazing career, like uh, gold records, platinum-selling records, golden guitars, ARIA awards, Everything that you can achieve, you've got to, mate, and we're really proud to be associated with and you. The, and the cool bit, I did it all without getting famous so I don't get mobbed like <laughs> the other people do. <laughs> but it is a credit to you. Um, so just quickly before we sign off, what's the future for Alan Caswell? Well, you'll have to talk to Lindsay Waddington. <laughs> yeah. No, look, the, the future is really clear. It's, it's like keep writing songs, keep making records, you know. Um, the future involves a lot of what I've been doing over the last few years where, where I run songwriting workshops and, and, and just pass it on because I can teach people things in five minutes that took me 30 years to learn. Lovely. But um, I teach them thing, things in five minutes that I learned in five minutes because someone else did 30 years. And that's what songwriting is about. It's like handing it on. I'm working with some incredibly talented um, young artists and I, I'm teaching, um, I'm writing songs with the kids at the Academy of Country Music, and they're the next, the next stage. They're the next group of people that are going to come through and do what I did. The difference is when I started in Tamworth, all the legends, you know, the real legends like Tex and Buddy and Slim, they're all alive. They're still doing gigs and stuff. And I was this young um, upstart who was never going to, didn't understand the music, was never going to amount to anything. And now I'm one of them. I just, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. But the difference is I want to encourage new artists and actually some of them, some of them were fine. <laughs> I at least got a chance to work with Tex Morton, which was great. Yeah, you know, you've so. done a lot of things, mate. Well, i got to tell you, thanks for coming along today, thanks, Kaz. Man. Alan Kaz, well, the legend himself. Great to have you, mate. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having the act. Thanks, everyone. Hope you all enjoyed today's episode. For more episodes, you can check out my YouTube channel or the podcast app and follow my social media at Lindsay Waddington Music. See you all down the track somewhere.